Hi, everyone. This is David Cohen, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Brad Feld. Hey, Brad. And this is the Give First podcast. And in the startup world, Give First means simply trying to help anyone, especially entrepreneurs, without any expectation of getting anything back. So we'll be talking to mentors and founders about what Give First looks like in action and how it makes great entrepreneurship possible. We polled everyone and they said consistently that their favorite part of the show was the legal mumbo jumbo. So here it is. The following discussion is an expression of personal opinion and does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversations for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal business investment or tax advice and is not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities in some of the companies discussed in this podcast. Got it? Hello, everybody. It's Brad Feld. Welcome to another Give First podcast. This time you've got both of your hosts. I'm here and... I'm here too. It's David. In the virtual world we live in these days, it's awesome to be together virtually. We have a special guest today. I'd like to introduce everybody to Mael Cave, the new CEO of Techstars. Hi there. Hi, everyone. So Mael, let's start off with just a brief background. Give us maybe a couple of minutes on your story and knowing that it ends at being the CEO of Techstars. Sort of how did you get to this place? Sure. I'm going to be very short. So I'm French, as I'm sure you can hear, but I've been living all around the world for the last 20 years. I lived in South Africa, India, China, the US, the UK, a lot in Eastern Europe, Russia, etc. I actually started as an entrepreneur professionally. I founded three companies. The first one when I was 16. After some time, I realized that being a founder was very lonely <laughs> and very difficult. And I didn't know about accelerators. I don't even know if they existed at the time. And I don't even know if they existed in my country. I changed career and I joined BCG, the consulting company, as a way to learn a lot of things about business and how to frame a problem. I was supposed to stay there for two years. I ended up staying there for six years and loved it, focusing mainly on projects, helping companies, embracing the digital revolution. And this is where I discovered that one of the things that I like the most in business is to help entrepreneurs scale and do that using a mix of technology, people, and processes. So after having spent six years there and realizing that I really didn't want to be a partner and really, really wanted to go back into operational business, I was about to launch my first company. And then there's a company called Ozone that came knocking on my door. Ozone at the time was one of many e-commerce companies in Russia. And I saw the potential and I decided to join them. And then a year later, I became the CEO of that company. And so that was the third stage of my career. I became an executive for hire to help company, often still led by their founder, to scale. So I was CEO of Ozone. I was in charge of operations for the Priceline Group, which owned Kayak, Booking, OpenTable, and other companies. And then COO of Compass, which is the largest privately owned real estate company in the U.S., which is a tech-based platform. Having done all of that, I decided to take a year off to write about something I care really deeply about, which is how to make technology more human-centered. I had plenty of experience about how tech can be a great force of good, but it can also be not such a great force for good. And so it was very important for me to put all my thoughts on paper. And I was lucky enough to find a publisher that was interested in this thought. And that was it. After that, somehow you guys found me. And uh, 38 days ago, I started as CEO of Techstars. 
Thanks for the rundown. And we want to talk about the book for sure, but obviously now at the pinnacle of your illustrious career here at Techstars, <laughs> I'd love to talk a bit about what drew you to it. What got you excited about the opportunity that Techstars presented to you? The true story is that when the headhunter called me, I was like, yeah, I'm not sure. I like my semi-retirement status. My publisher is asking me if I want to write a second book. I don't know. <laughs> and then I started doing my due diligence. I started talking to people. I talked to you, David. I talked to Brad later on. And it clicked. It was just like, okay, I have been an entrepreneur. Most of my friends are actually entrepreneurs. A few members of my family are entrepreneurs. My sister is actually building her first company as we speak. And I know how difficult it is, how much the success of your company depends a lot on your ability to gain access, access to capital, to knowledge, to people, to mentors, etc. And here was Techstars showing me how you can do that at scales for hundreds, if not thousands of entrepreneurs all around the world. And so to me, that was like this amazing aha moment was like, oh, I can actually do what I like the most at scale, which is helping all these entrepreneurs be successful. That's amazing. And then the second thing that I thought, as I understood better and better the model, was more from an investment perspective. And this ability to go and, and invest, because we are an investment business, to go and invest in founders that ordinarily would not be considered as prime candidates for the traditional VC model. We have a unique ability at Techstars, in my opinion, to both provide a very good investment model for LPs, but also an incredible support for founders. We can push diversity, we can push social impact, we can push human-centered approach in tech and do that again at scale for thousands and thousands of founders. And so if that's not a compelling business, I don't know what is. I, I remember talking to you in the interview process and realizing that even at Compass, right, you really were working with entrepreneurs and in your whole career, you've really been around that. And so I think those experiences are really relevant and helpful. I find entrepreneurs amazing, exciting, a little tiresome sometimes, <laughs> but amazing people to be around because they're so creative and so innovative and they see the world differently. And so to me, it's such a privilege. I'm very, very happy. Mayo, you've been at Techstars for a little over a month. What are your biggest surprises so far that you've run into, both on the positive and the negative side? A couple of things come to mind. The first one is I knew about the extent of the network. I had seen the numbers. David had sold me on it. You did too at some point. But it was very abstract. And as I started talking to our employees, as I started talking to founders who went through the accelerator program, this morning, actually, I talked to founders who are in our Berlin accelerator program. And we started talking about the network and they went through Mentor Madness and how they met with 80 mentors in our network. Suddenly, it became much more concrete and much more visible how massive the Techstars network is and how much there is brain power, capital power, talent power behind Techstars and how much all of that is unbelievably focused on making founders successful. I kind of knew because again, like this, this was part of the pitch and I had seen some of it during the due diligence, but like now being right into it, that's the most surprising, exciting, amazing thing that I have seen so far about Techstars. Again, like this morning, Berlin was amazing. 
Awesome. I mean, I heard it in your voice in the last couple of times we've interacted about stuff. It's great to, in such a short period of time, already hearing stuff back from around the overall Techstars network about your engagement. So it makes me very, very happy. Let's shift modes a little and talk about Trampled by Unicorns, the book you wrote. As a multi-time author, I would say that I know the joy and the misery of writing a book and just how satisfying it can be to work out the thoughts, but at the same time, how challenging doing it can be. So let's talk a little bit about the why of the book, why you wrote it. And there's a little story that's probably worth you knowing. I don't think I've ever said this to you. I didn't even know that you were being talked about as a potential candidate yet in the sort of recruiting process for Techstars. I think about a week before I knew, I got an email from Chris Schroeder, and he just sent me a note. We were going back and forth about a bunch of things, as we often do. And he mentioned to me that I should read Travel by Uniforms. I mean, he literally just sent me a note saying, hey, you should read this. And I'm a big reader. I read a book or two a week, and I'm not particularly discippointed about what order I read books in. So I just downloaded it. And I read it in two nights and loved it. And then I think, again, three or four days later, I got a note from David about getting together and spending some time with you. Given that, and my response to the book really helped, I think, season my first interaction even with you, because I had a good sense of where you're coming from. Talk to the audience about why you wrote the book and what were you trying to accomplish with it? I remember being so nervous when you and David and other members of the board or even people who interviewed me from the leadership team at Techstars started the interview by, I read your book, we need to talk. (laughs) I mean, I have strong opinions about a certain number of things. (laughs) And the book, to a large extent, was trying to offer solutions. And there is always a risk when you push for a solution that people are not going to agree with. I very distinctively remember you starting our very first meeting by, I read your book, we need to talk about it. (laughs) To answer your question, why did I write the book? I wrote the book mainly for two reasons. I grew up professionally in tech, either as an entrepreneur, as a consultant, or as an executive in general. It was the tech world. And most of my friends I was mentioning earlier, they're entrepreneurs, but they're entrepreneurs in tech. And I was getting increasingly frustrated about articles and books that I was reading about tech that were describing technology, the tech world, the tech ecosystem, either as amazing, can't do, no harm, everything is amazing, they're changing the world, leave them alone while they're making the world a better place. Or the exact opposite of that, which was, oh my God, this is so horrible. These people are terrible. They clearly, every morning, they get up And the only thing that they're thinking about is making more money and destroying the world by doing so. And knowing all these people, and frankly, probably being one of them myself, I was incredibly puzzled by the fact that it lacked nuances about why the tech ecosystem operates the way it operates, why it creates the kind of outputs that it creates. And so I wanted really strongly to write something that was more nuanced and more balanced about what I call the good, the bad, and the ugly the amazing thing that tech does, the less so good thing that tech does. And then the second reason why I wrote the book is because when I was, again, reading all these articles and books or having dinners, you know, pre-COVID, often I would hear people talking about the problems, complaining about it, but almost never actually proposing a solution. (laughs) And so I was like, no, no, wait, we got to be able to talk about solution. I'm not saying there is a silver bullet and that's it. We do that one thing and then that's it. Everything is going to be better. But there are absolutely at every level of the tech ecosystem, starting with the company themselves, all the way to the regulators, the media and the users, 
there are ways to make the technology world more empathetic, more human-centered, more focused on truly making the world a better place. So to me, like the book really was about that. Like, let's align on where are the good, the bad and the ugly. And then let's have a really concrete conversations about what we could do about it and what are the solutions to be better. Building off that, how do you see Techstars playing a role in adding up empathy into tech? I think because of the very unique business model of Techstars where we have found a way, I mean, you have found a way, I'm just piggybacking on what you've done. We have found a way to help thousands of founders to be successful. We have this very unique position where as we are supporting them on their path to becoming very successful, we can help them think through the impact they have on the world, how they can build their team so that their team is more, again, more empathetic, how they can test their products through a lens that takes into account not just the result of the latest A-B testing, but like the broader impact that it has on local community or society at large. So we have this opportunity to really put inside the companies that we are helping and funding, inside the company, these guidelines or these thoughts or these values around like, let's make sure that we have tech, which is really human-centered and really, really good for the world. As you know, the book was also my first experience of you. That's what happens when you write a book, by the way. People read it before they talk to you, as I think Brad and I have both seen. And I felt this just really enormous alignment just from reading that. And so by the time we got to speak the first time, I was really excited to talk to you actually about the book. It was really the best articulation I had heard or seen in one place around what the challenges are and what we might do about them and who the actors were and all of that. So I'm really thrilled that it worked out that this is something you care about because I think Brad and I and, and all of Techstars really want to not only help entrepreneurs be successful, but do it in a way that's really ethical and, and additive to the world, right? It goes back to that purpose of believing that entrepreneurs create a better world for all of us. And it needs to be all of us, right? Not just the entrepreneurs who win. So I just love the whole premise and totally recommend Trample by Unicorns to everybody. Thinking about Techstars, I know people are going to want to hear from you. What's your hope for it, for the future of it? Where is it all going? How do you see it unfolding as the CEO? So it's day 38. <laughs> you don't have all the answers yet? I don't understand. I have hope and dreams and hypotheses, but I, I need to caveat all of that by saying, really, I'm right in the middle of what I call a listening tour, which is talking to as many stakeholders in this business and in this mission. Actually, it's more than a business to make sure that I understand what do they see? What do they think is possible? I mean, I was talking about attending the Berlin Accelerator Program this morning. This is one of these listening to a part. And it's been fascinating to hear how much people believe in the overall impact that Techstars can have and how much they believe almost more than us, though I'm rapidly getting there, about the transforming aspect of this business way beyond the few accelerators that we have right now and how much they believe the impact can be global and really deep, and it can touch communities that, again, are completely separated right now from the overall tech ecosystem. So at the risk of sounding a little cheesy and fuzzy, my hope is that Techstars is going to be able to leave these dreams and these hopes that I've been listening to for the last 38 days, which is helping every entrepreneurs around the world no matter their gender, their religion, their race, their socioeconomic background, 
helping them to be a force of good and to really, truly make the world a better place. And again, you can't see my face, but I'm vaguely blushing as I'm saying that because I can hear how cheesy that sounds. But I'm hoping that this is what we're going to achieve. I think both David and I are a big fan of cheesy. (laughs) I think that was awesome and wonderful. In the spirit of the Give First podcast, let's shift to mentorship for a moment. A foundational part of everything we've been doing at Techstars going back to the very beginning in 2006 is oriented around this notion of mentorship and how mentors work. For a moment, think of one of your key mentors and maybe give us a a riff on what they meant to you. So I had a lot of mentors. It's been incredible for me to see how many people were ready to generously give their time to help me without ever expecting anything in return. And so that's value of Give First that Techstars believes in and promotes and really live through that is something that I have experienced firsthand from many, many different people throughout the years. If I had to choose one, I would probably choose an amazing man called Bernard, who happens to be Swiss, not French, who was the CEO of Ozone, who recruited me. The person that I replaced and became CEO after he left the company. Bernard basically showed me and helped me and mentored me, showed me that it was possible to scale a company with all the difficult decisions that are related to scaling a company and yet do that with empathy and a human-first approach. He helped me as I was struggling to make some decisions and I was struggling not because I didn't know what the decision needed to be. I just, I was struggling because I didn't see the impact. And so I would make the decision. And then afterwards, like there would be all this backfire. And I'd be like, where is this coming from? Like, why are people reacting that way? Or I would be looking at a problem and I would focus only on the data and not on the human component. There were so many situations where as a young CEO, that was technically my fourth CEO position because I had been CEO of my first three startups where I was the founder. But that was the first time that I was running a company with hundreds of people. And Bernard really patiently, thoroughly, though sometimes very directly, (laughs) helped me become a more human-centered leader, a more empathetic leader. And I can tell you that this was not an easy task. It took him quite some time to help me get there. And I'm not sure I'm fully there yet. I'm working on it. <laughs> I spoke to Bernard in the interview process. You, oh, yeah, you may know that. True. And we spoke about this very issue. His sort of pride around the fact that not only did you learn that and excel at that through that relationship, but you then literally wrote the book. <laughs> which is now out there. And you're now running a company which is all about helping entrepreneurs succeed through mentorship and pushing that idea into that. So I'm sure uh, if he's listening, I hope he is, that he's smiling about uh, sort of that give first uh, way back in the day that has really turned into something powerful now. That's the power of mentorship. This is why it is so important to be able to connect people And I will be forever grateful for all the hours, all the emails, all the phone calls, all the things that he he did to help me get through that. Because it was not a given from the beginning that it will work out the way it did work out. (laughs) 
So we're going to switch gears here. Great story about Give First and just the payoff of that. I think that's exactly what I love about this podcast is that we hear stories about someone who just was direct with someone, gave them feedback or helped in a way that ends up ultimately helping tens of thousands of people around the world because it gets paid forward by someone else. We like to do, to wrap it up, Mael, a little thing called rapid fire. Brad and I are just going to take turns asking you some questions. Give us uh, quick answers. Brad, I'll let you go first. What's your favorite city in the world to visit? Besides Paris, obviously, which is really the best city in the world. I'm sorry, I have to advertise my city. Really best, best, best in the world. Please go to Paris, enjoy it. This is amazing. (laughs) I love New York where I currently live. I'm lucky enough that I lived in so many places that I can compare. So I love, love, love New York. I think it's an amazing place. I have some found memory of Mumbai, where I lived as well for quite some time. South Africa, and in particular, I used to live in Stellenbosch. Amazing, strongly recommend the wine and the food. So it's hard for me to choose one, besides Paris, obviously. If you have to choose one, it's Paris. Got it. It has to be Paris. (laughs) How about your favorite food, speaking of food and wine? What's something that you just love and want to share with everyone, food-wise? I'm going to be very boring, but it's deep ingrained into my DNA. Bread, good bread, like real proper bread. Bread that still smells from the oven. Oh my God, (laughs) I could eat that five times a day and not eat anything else. I've got a dead or alive question, which is our tribute to Axl Rose. Who could you have dinner with if you could have dinner with anyone and the person can be dead or alive? I'm always struggling to pick only one. Let's do a tabletop. You've got a table in Paris as big as you want it to be. Okay. I like big table. I'm a social animal. Before COVID, I used to have big dinner party at my house. So I would do an all-woman table because this is pretty rare. (laughs) And please do not judge me for the people I'm going to put around the table. (laughs) I would put Michelle Obama. I think that what she has been able to achieve has been pretty remarkable. And I could go on for hours and hours. And this is why I'm asking for you to not judge me. I would put Kris Jenner from the Kardashian family. Not that I'm a fan of the TV show. I actually don't have a TV. But I think the empire that she has been able to build and the family that she has is pretty extraordinary in the true sense of the word extraordinary. (laughs) And so I'd love to be able to talk to her. I think it would be fascinating. So dead, there's this writer that I think is an amazing, amazing writer. Her name is Anais Nin. And she's French and American. And her memoir are one of the most empowering things I've read as a woman. And I think very early on, she thought about the power that women can have over their own life. And she did that in a very poetic way. I have a humanities background. I studied literature a lot. So she would definitely be there. Angela Merkel will be an amazing addition to that. Serena Williams, I think is beyond just the sport achievement, I think is a leader in her own right. And again, someone that would be fascinating to have at the table. So that would be my favorite table. And I have to say, I can't wait for Chris Jenner and Angela Merkel to have a conversation. That table does not suck. That's a good table. Um, <laughs> if I find out where it's happening, I'm going to serve some bread at that table or something. How about a nonprofit that you think is awesome that everybody should check out? They are Two that I like very, very much, and I've known them for quite some time, and I support them as much as I can. One is called Room to Read. They're basically helping provide open libraries around the world and giving access to books. 
to kids that don't have access to books, and in particular, young girls. So this one feels very close to my heart. And then the other one, it's called Acumen. And they basically think about how to improve the world through helping financing companies that are very focused on social impact. And so they're not really a traditional investor uh, in the sense of there's no LP with return on investment and things like that, but they do act as an investor in the way they select startups that they invest in. The key lens that they have is how are these startups helping local communities and in general the world? So it goes from startups that have found a way to bring electricity to villages that are not connected to the grid, all the way to things around hygiene and access to bathrooms and things like that. And so I think what they're doing is phenomenal. And I regularly look at what they're doing, and every time I'm amazed by how much impact they've had. Two great choices. Amy and I are longtime supporters of Room to Read and good friends with John Wood. And there's a linkage to Techstars, which is I met John for the first time via Mike Platt, who's at Cooley and Boulder and has been a longtime supporter and mentor involved in and around Techstars from the very beginning. So I didn't know that connections, we need to have that connection as well. Hopefully some of the folks listening to Give First will give to those orgs. We'll put the info in the show notes, room to read and acumen. And Mayel, thank you so much for spending the time and giving the community a chance to get to know you a little bit better through the podcast. I just say for myself, the last 38 days have been great so far, and I look forward to the next 3,800. <laughs> thank you so much. And thanks for inviting me. And thanks for giving me the job. I'm having the time of my life. So thank you. <laughs> thanks a lot for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, or who you'd like to hear next on Give First. And please leave a rating and review, ideally a good one, and reach out anytime to podcasts at techstars.com or on Twitter. I'm at David Cohen. See you next time. Don't forget, give first.